The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. In today's message, we begin looking at the first answer of Job to Eliphaz's argument. Job begins this answer appealing to his friends for sympathy, but ultimately ends by appealing to God for mercy. We could sum his message up in one phrase found in Job chapter 7 and verse 16. Job cries out, I would not live always. Join us today as we go through Job's first answer to his first friend's tirade. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Oh 
This morning we dealt with chapters 4 and 5 of the book of Job, which contain Eliphaz, the Temanite's first argument, his first rebuke, if you will, of Job. Uh, we talked about his approach, which was very harsh and judgmental. Not as harsh and judgmental as Bildad and Zophar will be, but, uh, but his approach was not to emphasize the pity and show pity and be uh, loving and merciful to him, but rather to be um, accusing and, and judgmental. Um, you may recall that his argument was based on his own experience, what he saw in the world. And, you know, whenever we start basing our positions on what we've seen, we better be careful. Now, granted, they didn't have the whole scripture that we have, the whole word of God. In fact, they had the dubious honor, as I said this morning, of being a part of the very first book of the Bible, <laughs> the very first inspired story, the very first inspired account in the word of God. And he, he kept on promoting himself as the ultimate arbiter of what was happening to Job. Now, as we said already, that when the Lord is chastening us, if the Lord indeed is doing something in our lives, and he does from time to time suffer trials to come upon us and suffer tribulations to occur to us, and, and, and oftentimes for chastening's sake, sometimes for chastening's sake. Sometimes uh, there's other reasons for it, but be that as it may, uh, whenever we become, we think we're the ultimate arbiter of what's happening in someone else's life, then we've got problems. And that's what happened with Eliphaz. He said, Job, I know what's happening to you because I've seen it happen. And this is the truth that, that the, the principle of sowing and reaping is not just a general principle. It's a law. And that's what's happening in your life. You've got some unconfessed secret sin that's the cause of all the troubles you're facing. And in fact, the cause of all the troubles that your children are facing. What a, what a horrible accusation to a man who's lost 10 of his children. It's terrible to think. And, and, and again, Eliphaz, without the benefit of Scripture, is basing his, his whole argument on the fact that he has seen this before and this is the way it is. In verse 7 of chapter 5, man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. In other words, whatever, there's no, he said in the verse before, it doesn't just come out of nothing. There's a reason you're having these sufferings. And you need to make it right with God. His, his appeal to Job was get right with God. That's what we hear in the world today. Get right with God. Especially in the prosperity gospel, if you'll just get right with God, everything will work out. <laughs> Your whole, it'll be smooth sailing from here on out. If you'll just have faith enough, if you'll just live right enough and righteously enough, everything will fall into place. Now, granted, no doubt, it's like we've said before, in this, in this book of Job, there's a lot of true teaching that's misapplied. That's a true principle, the principle of sowing and reaping, as we said this morning. It's true. In general, you reap what you sow, but there's also situations where the wicked prosper and the, and the righteous are afflicted. And that, that doesn't bear out. You know, a principle is not a law. You know, if God, the law of gravity... Unless God suspends it, it always works. <laughs> You're always going to fall when you step off a high building. 
Okay, now the principle of sowing and reaping is a general principle, like in the book of Proverbs, it talks about it very often, but it, it's not a, one of those things that every single time it works out that way, but that's what Eliphaz thought. That's what he thought. And ultimately, he was a miserable comforter to Job. And he ended up his talk with him saying, Job, you ought to be enjoying this. You ought to be happy about this. Happy is a man whom God correcteth. Now, there's some truth to that. In fact, it's quoted by Paul. But here again, Eliphaz is trying to tell Job, this is a problem you've brought on yourself. So in chapter 6 and 7 tonight, I want us to look at Job's first answer, his answer to Eliphaz. And if I could title this message, I would title it from chapter 7 and verse 16, I would not live always. I want you to remember where Job is. Job has lost his children. He's lost his farm. He's lost his goods. He's lost his cattle. He's lost everything that was dear to him in this life that he had worked for, that he loved, and now he's even lost his health. And it's, it's, you've been there. I've been there where it just seems like one thing after another after another keeps piling on constantly. And you think, Lord, have you forsaken me? And that's where, that's where Job is. And remember the three principles, the three themes of Job that we've been talking about, the patience of Job, the pride of God as to Job, and then the pride of Job as to his self-righteousness and that of his friends. You see, Job's not perfect in this. He's perfect according to God in the sense that he's mature, fully grown. But he's not sinlessly perfect. And that's part of, of this theme in here as you're going to see, and we're going to see some tonight, how Job has some pride going on here and apparently it infected the entire worship of that day his friends certainly were self-righteous and ultimately though the theme that's the most precious to us is pity James chapter 5 and verse 11 said you have seen you have heard of the patience of Job and you have seen the end of the Lord that he is very pitiful and of tender mercies if you get if you come away from Job with any idea of God other than that he is pitiful and of tender mercies, you've missed the point of Job. So let's talk about now Job's answer to Eliphaz's accusations. Job begins by appealing to his friends for sympathy, but he ends up appealing to God for mercy in these two chapters. That song we just sang encapsulates the whole of Job's desire. I don't want to live any longer. He said, I would not live always. And in fact, he's going to cry out to God, I don't want to live any longer. He's already told us that. We've already seen that in chapter 3. He's saying, I wish I'd never been born. And I wish if I had, if I, since I was born, I wish I'd died as a child. And now, Lord, since I didn't do that, I wish you'd just take me on out of here. Job is really hurting. So in chapter 6, he begins to respond to this by appealing to his friends. And in the first 13 verses of this chapter, he's essentially saying to his friends after Eliphaz, and by, by the way, you notice that Eliphaz is talking, but clearly we're going to see his, that Bildad and Zophar also agree with him. They're, they're probably standing over there amening him as he's talking. Amen, that's right. Or he, they're nodding their heads at the very least. It's clear to Job that his friends have the wrong attitude about what's going on. And Job answered and said in verse, uh, uh, verse 1 there of chapter 6, Oh, that my grief were thoroughly weighed and my calamity laid in the balances together, for now it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore my words are swallowed up. Job is saying to them, My suffering is too heavy for me. 
What I'm bearing, I can't bear. What The load that I have is too heavy. Uh, it's heavier than you realize. He said, verse 3, it was heavier than the sands of the seas. And bitterness is overwhelming me. Verse 4, for the arrows of the Almighty are within me. The poison whereof drinketh up my spirit. The terrors of God do set themselves in array against me. It is so easy in the crucible of suffering to start blaming God for what's happening to you. But we know the story here. God's not doing this to him. God is not afflicting Job. Yes, God is, is removed the hedge to some extent, but it's the devil, it's Satan that's after Job. You notice even Job is buying into his friend's way of thinking that God is out to get him. The arrows of the Almighty are within me. Aren't, isn't it so easy to think that? Isn't it so easy to, to fall into that trap and say, God, what are you doing to me? Why are you doing this, Lord? Why are you picking on me? And he goes on to say, verses 5 and 6 and 7 here, he says, Doth the wild ass bray when he hath grass, or loweth the ox over his father, a fodder? In other words, you think I'm just out here uh, running my mouth? Uh, if, if I had, you know, when a, when a donkey has grass, he doesn't bray. When an when a ox has fodder, he doesn't low. There's a reason I'm calling out. There's a reason I'm crying out in my pain. This is heavy. It's too heavy. It's too bitter for me. Can that which is unsavory be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? By the way, I hate whites of eggs. <laughs> You know, I get this right here. There's no taste in it. If I'm going to eat an egg uh, that, that has the egg white on it, I have to salt it down. Think about an unsalted white of an egg. He says, the meat that's not salted is unsavory. The things that my soul refused to touch are as my sorrowful meat. In other words, my life is like tasteless meat. It's just, I'm just going through the motions now. Nothing, nothing is enticing to me. It doesn't taste good. It doesn't look good. I'm not, I'm not enjoying anything in life. It's, my life is a burden to me. Verses 8 down through uh, verse 13, he says, Oh, that I might have my request, and that God would grant me the thing that I long for, even that it would please God to destroy me, that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. <laughs> He says, I wish God would kill me. Then, then would I have yet comfort. Yeah, I would harden myself in sorrow. Let him not spare. I've not concealed the words of the Holy Ghost, the Holy One. What is my strength that I should hope? And what is mine end that I should prolong my life? I have no basis to hope for anything in this life. All my hope is gone. Everything that has happened to me, everything that I see has fallen out. To my detriment. You know, I want to stop again and just remind us what we saw this morning and what we, what we need to remember that let's, let's cut Job a, a little slack and even his friends a little slack. As I said, this book, according to the historians, is the first book of the scripture that was written. Even the books of Genesis through Deuteronomy had not been written yet. And, and, and they didn't have access to the Scriptures. They didn't have access to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, for example. You know, Paul went through some terrible struggles. Paul went through some difficult times that would brought lesser men down and would definitely bring me down. But in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, 
Paul says, for which he's talked about all the problems he has. For, what, for which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Job's outward man is perishing. He sees no hope for himself. And, and then Paul, who had been whipped four times, who had suffered shipwreck, who had been even, uh, according to what I understand the scripture to teach, he had even lost his life at one point. He had 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 a sort of -of out-of-body experience. Paul here has suffered so many things, and yet he says it's our light affliction. Light affliction. I'm telling you something. If I ever got whipped 39 times once, just one time, they took a whip to me for 39 lashes. I'd never forget that. And I'd be in what they call post-traumatic stress disorder. I'd have PTSD for the rest of my life because of what I experienced there. Paul says it's light affliction. He said, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. How in the world, Paul, can you keep that kind of an attitude? This is how. He's looking at something different than what's going on around him. Why we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, now, does this ring a bell? Didn't we start off talking about the situation Job could see, but then saw that there was a situation Job could not see? Job could see some things. He could see the worship service that he was in, but he couldn't see God and Satan there observing this worship service that Job was in and talking to each other. Job could see the loss of his children. Job could see the loss of his things, his material things. Job could even feel the loss of his health. But he can't see what God's doing. And beloved, Paul says there's some things God's doing. Remember this. You don't have to, God is not some arbitrary, manipulative God, little g God, like Zeus or, or Jupiter or some of those, those pantheon of, of gods that the Greeks and the Romans had. They were, all time, they were all time playing tricks on men. They were coming down trying to trip them up, trying to cause them problems. They, they rejoiced that our God is not like that. Our God is for us. Our God is on our side. Job's God was on his side. He wasn't the one afflicting him. The devil was. You remember when the devil tried to get God to? He said, God, if you'll just, if you, God, will just touch him, then all these, he'll curse you to your face. And all these blessings, take them away, God. You know what God did? He didn't take the bait. He said, all right, Satan, everything he's got's in your hands. You know why that is? Because it's not the nature of God to afflict his children. Yes, he chastens. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about in the kind of affliction that Job is experiencing here. It's not God's nature to do it, but it is the devil's. Paul knows this. Paul says there's a situation we can see, and that situation will always get us down. But if we'll keep our eyes on the things which are not seen, then our spirit will grow within us. And we'll be able to handle these things that seem like great afflictions, and they will become but light afflictions in our minds. He says, my situation is hopeless. My situation gives me no reason for any joy whatsoever. My suffering is too heavy for me. And then beginning in verse 14, listen to this in Job chapter uh, 6. To him that is afflicted, pity should be showed. 
from his friend, but he forsaketh the fear of the Almighty. They didn't pity him. They didn't try to meet his needs. And Job is saying, your words are of little comfort to me. Not only is my suffering too heavy for me, your words are not helping me. Your words are of little comfort to me. And I want to say to you that the key to comforting anyone, the key to comforting your friend or your family who is suffering is that pity should be showed. To him that is afflicted, and that word literally means melts, to him that is melting under the pressure, pity should be showed from his friend. Paul says this, he said, we're to speak the truth in love. I've said this before, and I want to say it again. This is not a biblical quote, but it's a biblical principle. I've heard motivational speakers use this before. It's not a biblical quote, but it's a biblical principle. I don't care how much knowledge I have, how much truth I can proclaim. If I don't show it and proclaim it in love and show how much I care about the people I'm preaching to, the people I'm sharing with, then they're not going to accept it or be interested in it. In other words, I've heard it put like this. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. A lot of the stuff they're telling Job is true. As I said, you've got to be careful in rightly dividing the book of Job because there's a lot of truth in Job, but it's misapplied in most cases until we get down to God when he applies it just exactly right. You've got to filter it through who's speaking. In this case, uh, this morning, Eliphaz was speaking. In these two chapters, Job is speaking, and Job has a lot of truth. He says a lot of things that are accurate, but he misunderstands how they're to be applied. But here they are supposed to be showing him pity. You know, the first thing you need to show a friend who's suffering is not, well, let me, let me tell you all the answers. I, I've got everything you need to know right here. Let me, let's go into a didactic dis, uh, discussion of all the truths of God's Word. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't get you very far, does it? There's a lot of times when I'm in the depths of sorrow, I'm not all that interested in, in hearing all the truths that you know, but I'm so interested in your pity. I'm so interested in your empathy, your sympathy, your love. And that's sometimes all we need. These, these friends would have been a lot better off. And it would be a much different book if they had just sat there in silence and not started talking. He says, your words are not comforting me. In verses 15 down through 21, we won't read them all, but notice in the first part it says, My brethren have dealt deceitfully as a brook, and as the stream of brooks they pass away, which are blackish by reason of ice, and wherein the snow is hid. And he goes on to say they vanish when it gets hot. In other words, my friends, what you're doing, you're like a dry creek to me. I had high hopes. Verse 19, the troops of Tema looked. The companies of Sheba waited for them, waited for these waters. But verse 20, they were confounded because they had hoped. They came hither and were ashamed. In other words, the water was all dried up. There's nothing in what you're telling me that's helping me at all. You're like a dry creek. I had high hopes that you might be able to help me, but there's nothing there. Your words are of little comfort to me. And then beginning in verse 22, down through the end of that chapter, he says, I need you. I need you to help me. You know, my suffering's too heavy for me. What you're telling me is not helping me. I need you to help me. Look at, look at verse 22. Did I say bring unto me or give a reward to me of your substance? In other words, I don't want your stuff. Or deliver me from the enemy's hand or redeem me from the hand of iniquity. Verse 24, here's what I need. First of all, I need you to teach me. 
Teach me, and I will hold my tongue, and cause me to understand wherein I have erred. In other words, show me what's wrong. Teach me. You're accusing me with no knowledge. You're, you're leaping to conclusions, and you're trying to tell me all this is my fault. Show me. Tell me. You've said some true, true things. Verse 25, how forcible are right words. But what doth your arguing reprove? In other words, you're telling me some things that I know are true. The principle of sowing and reaping, for instance, all that's true. But, but you're, not, you're not, what good are they with the attitude you have? What good are they without the knowledge that you need? And then look at verse 28. He said, now therefore be content. Look upon me. Look upon me, for it's evident unto you if I lie. You know what he's saying? He's saying, basically, stop talking <laughs> and just sit down with me and look at me. You'll know if I lie. You can tell when I talk. Just, just look upon me. In other words, I need pity instead of condemnation. I need your presence, but I don't need all this fancy talking you're trying to do. Because all these truths are not helping me at all. They may be true, but you've leaped to the wrong conclusion. We saw this morning where Eliphaz was assuming that Job is the cause of all of his own suffering. And then in verses 29 and 30, he appeals to them to reconsider their words and to understand. Look at, look at verse 29. Return, I pray you, let it not be iniquity. Yea, return again, my righteousness is in it. Is there not iniquity in my tongue? Cannot my taste discern perverse things? What he's saying here is essentially that my righteousness is, is, is at stake here. My righteousness is caught up in this. You're accusing me of being unrighteous. He said, return, let it not be iniquity. Don't do iniquity. He said, return again. My righteousness is in this. My, my, in this matter, literally in this matter, my righteousness is all caught up in it. And you're accusing me of being unrighteous. And I need, I need your pity. Now, now, just quickly, let me say this. Because we're not really at the point where I want to talk a lot about Job's pride yet. Remember we said pride was one of the themes here, though? We're beginning to see the seeds of pride and self-righteousness with Job. He's saying, I'm righteous. I'm not doing anything wrong. Is there iniquity in my tongue? Can't my taste discern? Can't I figure out if something is wrong or not or perverse? Job is going to start defending himself soon. And he's going to get into a little bit of anger. He's going to get a little bit angry about the things that are happening to him because he's going he's to sort of promote himself and he buys into their way of thinking. We'll come back to that, Lord willing, down the road. Now, in chapter 7... After Job appeals to his friends in chapter 6, the first part of chapter 7, he appeals to the vanity of life, the emptiness of life. And in verses 1 through 5, Job is saying life is so futile. Life is so empty. Look at verse 1. Is there not an appointed time to man upon earth? Are not his days also like the days of an hireling? Now let me stop right here and say this. This is not Job taking some absolute or fatalistic approach, saying, oh, well, there's an appointed time and I can't escape it. It's, it's, not, it's, it's, it's set from, from the beginning to the end. Uh, there's an appointed day for death. Now, we've, we've talked about this before, but let me say this. I understand from God's perspective, He knows when we're going to die. He knows that. There's no doubt. 
He knows what's going to happen in the next minute, in the next hour. Does that make God the cause of it? No, no. Just because you know something doesn't mean you cause it. God knows everything we do. He knew that David was going to commit adultery with Bathsheba. Does that make God the author of his sin? Absolutely not. Job here is not talking about there being an appointed day for death. Over in Hebrews 9.27, you'll notice he says in there, he said, as it is appointed unto men once to die, not a man, but men once to die. Men die once in this life. But notice here, this, this word appointed time literally means, in, in the center column here, it literally means a warfare, a warfare. Is there not an appointed time? In other words, life is hard. The time of my life, the time that man is upon the earth, it's like a draftee in a war. There's a, there's a warfare going on. And notice as we keep reading, as a servant earnestly desireth the shadow, and as a hireling looketh for the reward of his work, so am I made to possess months of vanity and wearisome nights are appointed unto me. In other words, life is futile. Life is empty. Life is full of months of vanity. Vanity means emptiness. And like a draftee or a, in a war or a hireling in work, I'm tired of all the pointless labor of life. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity, said the preacher in the book of Ecclesiastes. Job is saying life is hard. I think we can identify with that, can we not? Life is hard. Life is tough. It's full of disappointments. And notice in verses 4 through 7 here, he said, When I lie down, I say, When shall I rise and the night be gone? And I'm full of tossings to and fro until the dawning of the day. My flesh is clothed with worms and clods of dust. My skin is broken and become loathsome. Oh, Job's in bad shape. You know, there's a place over in the book of Deuteronomy where God said that if you forsake him, that there is a legitimate place where, uh, where, the, where the, the blessings will be taken away and the cursings will occur. He told the children of Israel, if you forsake his law, he said, you're going to say, uh, if, you, if you keep his law, rather, if you keep his law, you'll, you'll be blessed when you lie down, blessed when you rise. But then if you don't keep his law, you'll be cursed when you lie down, cursed when you arise. When you're morning, when you're at night, you'll say, would God it were morning. When it's morning, you'll say, would God it was night. You ever been there? <laughs> you ever been there? I've been there under the chastening of the Lord where I, I could lay down at night and wish it was morning. And when I woke up in the morning, I wished it was night where I could lay down again. I never was satisfied. But you know what? I've also been there when it wasn't the chastening of God. I've also been there when it was like Job. And there were just problems in life. And I was not, I was, I was struggling. And I was sick at heart. And I was not satisfied no matter what happened. Job is not satisfied no matter what happened. When I lie down, I wish it was morning. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, 
please visit us online at zionpbc.com.